The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as a potential for discussions about other topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the person stating them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Ed and they said it wouldn't last. (laughs) 19, we're close to being able to drink. (laughs) And tonight we're doing something a little bit different than we've done before by focusing on a single distillery, one that we've encountered a number of times in the past but never actually talked about. Correct. As well as seven whiskeys that they produce. Six we had at a recent tasting and one more we bought especially for this episode. With each one, a uniquely individual expression, and nearly each one could have been one of the whiskeys that we highlighted on previous episodes. So after doing nothing but beer in our last episode, strap yourself in for a fairly whiskey-heavy adventure in taste. And Ed's going to start us off with which distillery we're talking about and a little bit about why they're so unique. Right. So we're doing Hill Rock, which is one that I fell into a long time ago. I actually brought one of the expressions to a whiskey tasting that Scott had at his house. Yeah, that we talked about uh, a few times, but just in passing, we talked about it. That I thought it should have won and it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It was surprising. So the Hill Rock, first of all, it's a New York distillery, which it's got a very interesting history. In the early 1800s, New York produced more than half of our nation's barley and rye the actual crops. And the Hudson Valley, besides producing a lot of good artists around the end of the 1800s, uh, which was like who? Well, the Hudson Valley Impressionists, there was a group that went over to Paris and studied with, you know, Monet and Manet. Oh, oh, artist, artist. Right, yeah, artist. Uh, Painting. Painting people. So like the Hudson River Valley was a very famous place for landscape paintings and stuff like Uh, that. Oh, okay. But besides that, they were the country's breadbasket along with New Jersey, which were called the Garden States, so thanks for shitting all over us. But we are (laughs) actually part of that. Um, But more in the 1700s, to be honest. But I digress. I tangent it in an unfunny or an uninformative way. Edit. Right. <laughs> Local craft spirits flourished in over a thousand farm distilleries. A thousand farm distilleries produced whiskey and gin, reflecting the unique character of the region. Prohibition forced these distilleries to shut their doors, and the wellspring of American spirits was left dry. Hill Rock Estate Distillery is changing this. Hill Rock is proud to be one of the few field-to-glass whiskey producers in the world and the first USA distillery since Prohibition to handcraft whiskey on-site from estate-grown grains. Okay? Yes. And it's all crowned by a fine 1806 Georgian house built by a successful grain merchant and a Revolutionary War captain, which has been meticulously restored to its original beauty. Every detail is refined, no expense is spared, and the quality is steeped in a tradition that goes back 200 years. It's a very interesting distillery and an interesting part of the country, actually, when it comes to whiskey. Yeah, so the uh, the tasting that we went to was at our local lounge. Right. So uh, we had, once again, six different Hill Rock expressions. Now, here's what makes that unique 
everybody. You know, Hill Rock is not giving away their whiskey, right? But their bottles are around ninety dollars. So, yeah, and as I think, as we go through these whiskeys and we talk about them, right. you're going to find out why. Right. These are crafted. So they grow the grain, they cut it down, they bring it in, they grind it up, they process it. I mean, this is a yeah. very unique situation. So you're going to pay a couple extra dollars for that. Yeah, you said it in your intro. Right. Uh, field to glass. It's sort exactly. of the uh, whiskey equivalent of farm to table. Exactly. Yeah. And so the point I'm trying to make is to drink six of these side by side and to be able to comparison taste them is something you rarely can do. It was special. Even if you're in our lounge and you're buying the ones that they have on the menu, it's $20 a glass. So yeah, w- without the food, which right. was amazing. So we're so, going to talk about them in each round. Right. So uh, Round one, the start. Right yeah, round one, the whiskey was the Hill Rock Estate Solera Aged Bourbon. So this is basically the, That's their, their basic spirit. Right, this is their this is their franchise really and we'll talk about many of the expressions that come after this is there solero with something done to it right yeah so the the solera aged bourbon we talked about the solera process in our uh, short that we did about our infinity bottle because that's where the entire concept for the infinity bottle came from was right. the scottish guy on youtube whose name i forget his inspiration for creating what became known as the infinity bottle was the solera system and that was where they that's have right. uh, the, the tiers of different uh, um, whiskey barrels and they're filling them with each other's whiskeys a little bit from the first one goes into the second to the third to the fourth the age and complexity gradually increases over time right. and it produces a very consistent spirit this particular one from hill rock after cascading through the solera uh, the bourbon is finished in 20 year old oloroso did i say that right oloroso sherry casks you're uh, asking me that yeah <laughs> Um, the finishing process balances the spicy rye flavors of the bourbon and adds further complexity with, they say, sweet yet slightly spicy from the rye. It has notes of brown sugar, maple syrup, rock candy, and toffee. The spicy notes include clove and cinnamon, well-balanced with roasted corn, toast, and raisin. Sherry finishing adds flavors of walnut, fig, and candied fruit with notes of sweet caramel and butterscotch. The current age of the Solera is over six years, and the rye content is approximately 37%. So they brought out the Hill Rock Solera Aged Bourbon, 92.6 proof, and they paired that with a pan-seared scallop with raw fennel salad and blood oranges and a blood orange and Solera bourbon reduction with a white balsamic vinaigrette over the fennel salad. It was delicious and spectacular. It really was. It was like I was at a uh, high-end, really expensive restaurant. Absolutely. Could I could have gone with two scallops or like or four or whatever it was. What, was it only one? I forget. I think there was two. Maybe. Yeah, there were two, yeah. <laughs> Don't get greedy. But two scallops to me is like I eat two scallops when I think about how much I like scallops. <laughs> All right, so round two, they brought out a Hill Rock Estate Solero bourbon in a Cabernet finish. 92.6. Yeah. They finished their regular Solera aged bourbon that we just talked about, which was finished in sherry cask, and they finished right. it again into Napa Valley Cabernet wine casks. True. Uh, the, the tasting notes of that, caramel vanilla nose replete with cherry, blackberry, citrus, and sweet taffy, caramelized sugar, plum, and caramel, warm and sweet notes of vanilla, toffee, and French oak, complemented by a bouquet of black cherry, currant, violet, and nuts complete the palette before leading to a long and vanilla-focused finish highlighted with cherry and Cabernet flavors. Now, I'm just going to say that the inclusion of violet in that is obnoxious, <laughs> and I'm not going to let it go, Okay. 
That's an obnoxious <laughs> thing to put in there. What the fuck does violet taste like? It's incredibly ridiculous. Unbelievable. I mean, I didn't I'm, taste- I, I'm not just going to sit here and smile at that. Like, oh, violet. Yeah, I taste the violet. What the fuck? I taste the violence in my fucking anger right now. Because when you talk to me like that, it makes you want to go crazy. Because am I such a fucking ruffian that I don't taste violet in this? I'm getting all wound up now. And I, once again, I love Hill Rock. Did they write that? Is this their tasting? Actually, no. Oh, I, thank I, fucking God. Well, so here's the problem with Hill Rock. Uh, they don't have all of their expressions on their website. Yeah, it's very crazy. They only had three, and it was their base. It was their uh, the Solera bourbon, the double cask rye, and the single malt. Right. Actually, that's the only three products they have. They just turn them into different expressions yeah then, then they finish them. them so i couldn't find a lot of information on them and right. their website so i went to i went to separate uh, websites to get all this stuff so yeah don't be mad at hill rock for, uh-huh. for violet right that wasn't hill rock didn't call their shit violet no okay? but listen my tasting notes are it tasted like the solero and then there was like a sweet current dark cherry i'm all over that finish to it it definitely had a different finish than the original, and it was nice. And I was it like, did. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is good. And they paired it with a deconstructed stuffing. So all of these were sort of separate on a plate. And it was olive tamponade, croutons, a mushroom medley, mixed carrot, celery, and cranberries, and a chicken consomme in the middle. Right. It was really interesting. <laughs> it, it was interesting. It was, it was fun. Was... It kept us busy while they got the next uh, right, we were ready. While we were tasting the Cabernet. I did like the Cabernet better than the yeah, just right, the regular right. Solera. So, so at this point, it's got to be like, okay, so we're like... Second round, we're like, all right, this is one, and round one is two. We got it. This is how we do. We keep track. You know? Yeah. Oh, if we did our jobs better, we would have wrote down our tasting impressions at the time. I just told you. No, but at the time, we would have wrote everything down. I, no, really, I no. could have a whole file account at home where I just studied before I came here. You don't know. I could have tattooed black current on my neck. You have no idea what I did. <laughs> you, no. know, you know what? I'm about to get violet. <laughs> <laughs> round three round three uh the whiskey was the hill rock estate double oak rye port finish right so i was excited about that because i'd had that once a long time ago and i didn't remember what it tasted like but i remember i liked it and, and we had just done our port finished whiskey episode and we had done a double a double oak barrel one. or we were just about to do it i don't remember the timing <sighs> but remember. and we had just done a willet and a high west rye episode too so there's a lot of things going on with this that made us excited to try it right so this could have fit into three different episodes that right. we did and it was good by the way it was very good oh i really like the port finish i think this was the one where the taste kind of died like it just it was really good it didn't have a good finish to the end of it Uh, to me it was still the best one at the time i think scott actually liked the cab finish better before it i did i I was surprised that i didn't like the port one as much but um it's proof is down a little bit from the uh, solero it's like a 90 yeah four to six weeks in export barrels so not very long at all um, the tasting notes were a spiciness of the rye plays off the port in an interesting way, almost like a berry jam that was cooked and extra cinnamon sticks and nutmeg. The smoky flavors from the original whiskey add a pleasant puff, puff mm. in the finish. Dominant oaky and cedar notes blanket the rest of the flavor profile. This is for true rye heads looking for something different to try. That's fair. It's definitely unique. Yeah. And they pair that with a, um, it was like a salad. It was like a, a shard scallion puree 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 fuck you better not leave that in i'll fucking hate you a shard <laughs> you're so angry right now and you keep texting people tell me i stop. haven't texted anybody okay a shard scallion puree is one of those words for me do, do you want me to do it yeah <laughs> all right so they paired it with um a shard scallion puree a bruscherone cream 
Uh, roasted beets and watercress. It was delicious. So we're not really sure what the Boucheron cream is. We no. fucked it up, and the internet doesn't know what it is either. It, all I found was face cream. So Tim invented it. <laughs> Maybe. So then round four came out. We're back to the Solero now. And this time, though, it's finished with a Pinot Noir. Mm. And we're back up to 92.6 again. And I remember really liking this one. It was amazing. I'm yeah. thinking, wow, this probably is going to be the best one of the day. It was really unique. Really good finish, especially because the double oat rye didn't really have a tremendous finish. This definitely did. Yeah. So the uh, tasting notes on this one are the wine cask finished bourbon entices with a mellow caramel aroma. The drying palate. Oh, I do remember that. It, it was like made your mouth dry. Mm. Uh, it wasn't unpleasant, but it no. definitely was drying. Right. Uh, opens uh, relatively woody, um, mm. very woody, mm. with a cedar and spice and a hint of raisin, cocoa powder, vanilla, and almond tones, and rounds out with oaky edges, finishing with a flurry of cinnamon, clove, and nutmeg. So this was paired with uh, a duck confit. Am I saying that wrong? Too? <laughs> yeah, confit. Which was, I don't like duck, but... I knew by this point in the tasting, I was going to like whatever he brought out. Yeah. And it was in an almond butter sauce, an arugula salad, and a pickled cranberry puree. And it was very good. That was delicious. <laughs> so then we knew we had one round left. And we're like, well, I really think that this Pinot Noir finish of the Solero is going to be the best. Yeah. But then they brought out what, Scott? Yeah, they brought out the Hill Rock Estate Solera Bourbon Sauterne finish. Sauterne being a type of wine. And that ended up being the best one of the night. Bar none. Yeah. It was spectacular. It actually was down a little bit in proofage, down to 90.6. And it's known as Nectar of the Gods. Yeah. It uh, apparently has a signature balance of sweetness and acidity with nutty flavors and notes of apricot honey and peaches. So those were what was supposed to be imparted into right. the whiskey. I rem- right. I remember it being kind of like brown sugary, some a little bit of molasses aftertaste, but still, you really got the sweetness from the wine in it. It tasted almost like a port finish to me, I'll be honest with you. But we were like, wow. Like, we didn't expected to beat the pinot but it really did it really did so the the tasting notes on the whiskey itself the nose is full of caramel dry fruit vanilla oak and spice with a light floral aroma the Mm -hmm. palate is full-bodied with decadent notes of brown sugar molasses toffee butterscotch apricots honey peaches roasted corn clove cinnamon and a small hint of spicy rye that's a lot to put in a whiskey and it was fucking delicious it was delicious and they paired it with a mulled wine spiced pear Honey pound cake and mascarpone. Yeah, Ariel, the pastry chef, it was one of her special creations. Yeah, was this was the dessert round. Right. So then, basically, that's when we thought the tasting was over. Mm. And then Doug, who is the rep for Hill Rock, he drove all the way down from the Hill Rock Distillery over three hours just to be there. He pulled out the single malt expression that they create there. It was smoky, right? A little bit smoky. It wasn't yeah. over the top. It was drinkable. I don't. I still didn't like it because I don't like scotch. Right. And it's the type of scotch I don't like. He described it, and I agreed, like opening a barn door and smelling it. Yes, which th- that doesn't appeal to me. Like, oh, let me go right. put that in my mouth. I, I know. But people love it. I understand why. Listen, I always tell a story about I was at my friend's Christmas a couple years ago. He had an R bag that was just smoky and peaty nightmare and i took a sip of it and i hated everything about it it was just like taking some grass from the ground that had been on fire and shoving it in my mouth and i swallowed it and it was gone there's like the finish was there which was disgusting 
But when it was gone, I remember going, wow, like I kind of missed it because when it was in my mouth, it was so complex and there were so many things firing off. I hated it, mind you. This is a weird thing. I hated it, but I did miss it when it was gone. Like there was like a little hole where that disgusting sip had been. I I feel like scotch uh, drinkers are masochists. They just Mm -hmm. like those flavors that you don't normally get in a whiskey that hasn't been peated. And it's kind of like a challenge to be able to taste one of the most obnoxious flavors. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not hating on Scotch people, but I think that's sort of the mindset that they get. I don't know. You get used to it, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I mean, how many people have taken a sip of your whiskey and they go, oh my God, how do you drink this? It's like gasoline. It's like gasoline. We're like, it's not like gasoline at all. You're crazy, but that's what they taste. Yeah, if you're only dr- used to drinking like a beer or wine and they taste a the whiskey and then they're, they're right. immediately like, oh God. So maybe, right, they think that we are sadists right? and we just have not reached the sadistic level of scotch drinkers yet. So tonight for our episode, I happened to come across a double cask rye finished in the Sautern cask, right. like the Solero was. Right. And I've never had this and neither has Scott. So right. this we, is our seventh whiskey. So that's what we're going to do right now. And I'm dying to try because we've been sitting here. I know. It's been sitting here forever. So um, let's try it. Hmm. I mean, once again, I feel like all the Hill Rocks, when you smell them, you get a very traditional bourbon nose, if you will. Caramel, vanilla, a little bit of spice. I smell a little grape in this one. I hear floral a lot. I don't smell floral a lot, but I kind of get that here. Yeah, I get that. It is very peppery, right? I can it's like actually like kind of tingling my nose a little bit. Oh, wow. That, wow. Oh, that's so interesting. There's no short finish on this one, man. This is different than anything I've ever tasted. I'm still tasting it neat. Yeah, drink it on the rocks. I'm going to switch it on the rocks. Real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you were describing as uh, a little bit hot for a 90 proof, mm-hmm. that's gone now. No, right. I would say that the ice cubes are probably halfway melted. So there's quite a lot of water infused into it. And this tastes like something you could drink all night. Like it's not as strong and yet the flavors are still there. I'm tasting orange now. Mm. I'm tasting a lot of the floral and the fruity that, that they said I was supposed to taste before. I'm tasting it now a lot more. I'm going to concur. I don't know that I've ever tasted anything quite like this particularly in the rye family. I also have to say, except for the rum cast finishes that we've done, I've never tasted something that takes on the character of what it was finished in more than this. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I'm looking online to see if anyone can help us out with it, what we're tasting here because it, it's super complex. Where's our whiskey jug guy? He, he didn't do it? I don't think so. I bet he tastes red licorice in it. <laughs> tastes red licorice in everything. Somewhere oh. he's like, no, I don't, God damn it. He's yelling at us. I know, he's yelling at us. Uh, that would be great because then he would know who we are. He might know who we are. He don't know. Yeah, I can't, we're getting I can't, we're getting more popular every single minute. Every single minute. I can't find. I can't, All right, well, it's fine. I can't find it. We never really agree anyway. Right. I mean, listen. Here's here's the way we do it. It's ninety dollars a bottle, and it's not something you know you want to buy every day. But it's a treat for yourself or somebody else. It's a spectacular expression. I'm going to say that the Hill Rock Double Cask Rye Whiskey in the Saturn finish. So we should go into the other expressions that they have. Um, in addition to the seven that we just talked about, so they have a regular single malt, and then the double cask rye finished in PX sherry casks, and they have a, the double cask rye finished in Madeira casks. Oh, and that's it. <laughs> there were so many, so they have 10. That's ones that you found. Yeah, because like I said, they only have three on their website. 
We didn't even talk about the fact that Hill Rock has the greatest bottles, this side of Willett's Pot Stills bottle in the whiskey industry. It is a thin kind of rectangle of a bottle with a giant cork stopper top to it with beautiful gold lettering and the Hill Rock logo on the front. It'll tell you what you have. So this actually says double cast rye whiskey. That's all it says. But when you turn on the side, there's a label and the label tells you that it's a Sauterne finish and all the other data you need. If you're looking for the presentation bottle to give somebody for a housewarming or to give your boss at Christmas or something that says you've arrived with a statement, Hill Rock is the absolute way to go. Right by itself, right in the bottle. You don't need a box or anything with it. Just sit on the counter and be like, hey, here, this is for you. And it's like, it just makes a statement. It kind of looks like a giant bottle of cologne. Yeah. You know, like like you'd see in like Macy's, there's fake ones, but like, um, right. So that sounds like a criticism, but it's not. No, not at all. So we really enjoyed the tasting, like I said earlier, because you were able to do all the expressions right next to each other. But sitting here and just focusing on this one, I think it's probably appropriate to tell you why Hill Rock is so good. It goes a lot with who created the expressions, and that's Dave Pickerel. He's passed away. He's deceased, but... He died like a year ago. Yeah. He is an icon and has been responsible for, I think, a big part of the resurgence and the shift in the whiskey industry. I found out that he played offensive tackle at West Point. Yeah, he's a West Point graduate, and I did not know that he served in the military for 11 years Yeah, as a cavalry officer. Now, that doesn't mean he rode a horse, okay? My father was a cavalry officer. It means he was a tanker. Oh. It means he rode tanks around right. and stuff like that. Those the, are the new horses. Right. <laughs> now, you could also be air cavalry, which is the helicopters. Oh, oh. oh that's interesting. It's a nickname for him. It's not really as official as, as, as the... The tankers. Right. Right. Uh, you were an offensive tackle, weren't you? Uh, I, I was. I actually, in college, I played defensive tackle. Oh, defense. I don't tackle. know how I got over that. I was like the Mike Golick of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, defensive line. And the main reason was I just was able to legally cheat. I was able to pick up tells from the other linemen on the other side, so I knew when they were going to snap the ball. So oh. I, I would come off the ball with them and look incredibly fast. Right, right. Well, yeah. Yeah. And if you ran either of my gaps, I'd kill you. But if you ran a sweep the other way, like a, I wasn't tracking you downfield. I wasn't going to like hawk you down like 30. Oh, 40 yards downfield. Oh, Ed, Ed's got him. Ed came out of nowhere. <laughs> to be fair, most defensive tackles don't do that either. Well, the good ones do. Um, getting back to Dave Pickerel, after he served 11 years in the military, he got his master's degree in chemical engineering right. from the University of Louisville. And then he got a job at the, as a master distiller at Maker's Mark. Oh, okay. Yeah, for 13 years where he was responsible for ensuring the quality and consistency of their bourbons. An iconic brand. And so he probably learned a lot there, I would think. They're a pretty consistent distiller. Yeah. Um, and then he worked with Whistlepig. Yeah, he was a big part of their um, resurgence, but their- Surgeons? Yeah, surgeons. Their original surgeons, yeah. And then he was part of the group that restored the George Washington <laughs> Distillery in Mount Vernon, Virginia, which we shed all over. We shed all over them. I'll shed on them again. In our episode eight, when we did the uh, presidents. Because they- Charge like $300 for a bottle of whiskey that's like moonshine. Yeah. So this whiskey, like you said, it's between $80 and $90. That's how you're going to find them. And it's because they craft it all themselves. And Dude, it's a the small- bottle's got to be worth 15 bucks. I mean, they grow their own grain. They, they malt it right there on the farm. They distill it and they- Right, age it and they bottle it all there, so it's very handcrafted. Right. And we talked about that, mm-hmm. where st- small distilleries have to charge a little bit more because they don't have the giant right. uh, efficiency operations that, like a Beam Suntory has. Right, we talked about that with the Denver. The Colorado, yeah, the, the Breckenridge, the Breckenridge, yeah. which is a, another small batch that's a little bit overpriced, I think. But being that they're smaller and, and handcrafted, you're going to pay for that. 
Yeah, but the George Washington distillery was ridiculous. Um, fuck them. It's not necessary to just rob people like that. Yeah. And the last thing I think that's really noteworthy was we talked about it in our last episode. He worked with Metallica to make the blackened America whiskey. Right. I'm not saying touring Metallica helped speed his death, but it did it probably didn't help him any, I would imagine. I hear he was at a lot of Metallica shows. Well, it was kind of cool to see that Doug from the Hill Rock talk about him. Wasn't he like assigned to be with him and be yeah. his like companion or something? Yeah, he was like, we got to get Dave to the meeting to have a job. Right. Like, Dave, we have to go to the meeting tomorrow. You should come in. No, I'm going out with Metallica all night. I'll talk and do I have to be at the meeting. All right, well, the train leaves at 9, and he wouldn't be on a 9 o'clock train. They have to <laughs> take a 10 o'clock train and be late. Yeah, he had a couple of funny stories about it. Sounded like an amazing man, though. He did. Uh, he really did. Yeah. Honestly, Hill Rock is a really great distillery, and they make great products, and it was a tremendous experience to uh, meet Doug and, and to be part of the tasting. Any of them, by the way, you're not going to be disappointed with any of the ones we talked about. You're not going to be like, oh my God, what's this? Even for 90 bucks, you're, you're not going to be like, oh my God, I spent 90 bucks on this. You're like, wow, this is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, one thing else I want to say, uh, just a personal message to people out there who grew up and had image of the world like I did, especially the fact that we had nine planets in our, in our solar system. <laughs> I mean, this fact that we arbitrarily have to throw Pluto out after it's been a planet, it's not doing anything. It's minding its own fucking business. And all of a sudden, somebody has to decide that because a couple of Jupiter's moons are kind of like big. No. Oh, well, there could be. No. no. Shh. <laughs> it's not your time yet. And um, there's an anti-Pluto guy next to me. I'm you, not anti-Pluto. I love Pluto. We named a dog Pluto or whatever he was on, on the... Oh, yeah, the uh, Disney uh, character. Mickey, yeah. Mickey Mouse. Why can Goofy talk, but Pluto can't? They're both dogs. Explain that one. Well, because... Is Goofy a planet? No. Goofy's a co-host. Is he? Wait, what? You. Oh, oh I could do. <laughs> There's a whole asteroid belt with a lot of rocks floating around that probably are close to the size of Pluto. But Pluto's got this incredibly long, oblong orbit. You're making my case for me. And it's been doing fine. And, you know, I made so many mobiles. It was like my go-to thing. Like every three years, I do another mobile on the solar system. And boom, Scott's here shitting all over my childhood. No, uh, again. No, I only shit over Thanksgiving. Here's Pluto. So things change in science, okay? Science is not making you feel better. Science is not always right. Science progresses. It's about clarification of knowledge. Pluto was discovered in an era when we had discovered other giant planets like Neptune and Uranus. I'm not going to say Uranus because it's just a dumb name. Uranus. <laughs> you know, Uranus. Since then, we have discovered several objects that are as big, some bigger than Pluto. I got one right here. Yeah, it's not as big as Pluto. <laughs> don't, don't flatter yourself. It's closer to you than Pluto is, though. <laughs> it is closer. It looks bigger. <laughs> it looks bigger than Pluto right now. And, you know, they had to decide what they're going to do. Now, they could have named all of those things planets. There are five official ones, but there's dozens of others that haven't been observed enough for them to determine. Are they closer than Pluto or farther away? Well, one is in the asteroid belt that you alluded, alluded to, to, and that's Ceres, C-E-R-E-S. And that one is almost as big as Pluto, and it's round. It's a world of its own. We should have to call that a planet too. I'm oh. fine if we do that, but what the International Astronomical Union decided to do was come up with a new category and put Pluto in it. It's not a demotion. It's just a recategorization. Mm. It sounds like someone just took your big office away and gave you a small office and told you it wasn't a demotion. 
Well, I'm a human with feelings. Pluto has no feelings. I trust me. Pluto doesn't care what we think of it. I agree with that. Yeah. And I agree that science is about <clears throat> evaluating and changing, but I don't know. I feel like life was easier when Pluto was a planet. And then like you changed Pluto and all of a sudden all hell broke loose in America as we know. Well, correlation is not causation. Look at the brain on Scott. All right, everybody. Well, <laughs> is Pluto a planet? Scott says no. I say well, no because the expert said no. Send all your emails to Scott how you want Pluto to be a planet because Scott's in charge of that now. So please Jesus. send all of your uh, emails to whiskeytangent at gmail.com. That's, that's Attention, it. Attention, Scott. Attention, Pluto's a planet. It's Attention, fun. you're right. A Pluto is not a planet. No. Attention, you're a fun sucker. Make Pluto a planet fun again. Fun sucker. <laughs> Make Pluto a planet again. NPPA. All right. Whatever, guys. We've now run out of constructive things to talk about. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Later. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent and follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent. You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy and follow Scott at giant cup of awesome spelled A-W-S-U-M just to be annoying. Hey. You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.